The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. You guys feeling good? Me too. It's a good day. Um, If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 2. As Ryan mentioned, today is the day we have been praying and seeking the Lord. Our week of waiting is coming to a conclusion, and uh, we will find out today whether the Lord um, is calling our church and Bent Creek uh, to come together as one church, them enfolding with us. And um, we have taken our vote, and uh, I have some results of that vote if you'd like to hear them. Um, with, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, <clears throat> With 87% of the precincts reporting, that's 87% of the members who can vote voted. And, uh, and that vote was uh, affirmative, 99.3%. So we praise God for that. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. Uh, we also had uh, regular attenders, non, not yet members. Uh, we opened a vote up to them. Now, that's not a binding vote for our bylaws. What? When was the vote? Kelly, we're, we'll have a conversation after the service. So, um, of, of regulars and, and uh, not yet members, uh, that was 100% affirmative. So, uh, we, give, we give praise to God for that. We'll wait uh, on Bent Creek's vote. Uh, they will let me know as soon as they conclude that. Their service is happening right now. And they vote by paper ballot. So uh, in the meantime, we will turn our attention to the word of God. How about that? So to catch everybody up, we've been working through Philippians. And um, though we, we love preaching through books of the Bible in chunks, right? Uh, the, the downside of that from time to time is that you lose sight of the whole context because you're focused on the trees and you miss the forest, right? So just to give you reminders and, and context, Uh, Paul, who writes this letter, he's the Apostle Paul, he is uh, likely under house arrest in Rome. If you remember back to the book of Acts, we spent about a year going through the book of Acts together. Uh, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. Uh, They brought him to Caesarea. He was there about two years, just sort of rotting away in jail, and he finally appealed to Caesar. And so he traveled uh, via ship. There was a shipwreck, snakebite, all that stuff. Finally made his way to Rome, and he is waiting trial before Caesar, or at least one of Caesar's representatives. So Paul's in uh, under house arrest. Now, when you were a prisoner of Rome, uh, you were responsible to pay for your own bills. Uh, so though he's under house arrest, Rome is not paying for that, okay? So he's dependent on family or friends or churches uh, to support him while he's there. And so the Philippian church, who are very special to Paul, they take up an offering and uh, they send this man Epaphroditus with that financial gift to Rome, 800-mile journey, and uh, Epaphroditus is delivering this financial gift to help support Paul while he's there under house arrest. Paul writes a letter. He sends this thank you letter back with Epaphroditus to Philippi, and in this letter, he is uh, thanking God for, for the gift. He is thanking them for their generosity. He is expressing gratitude for the work of God in and through the Philippian people, and then he gives us some of the richest doctrinal statements about the incarnation of Jesus, about the uh, humiliation of Jesus, about the exaltation of Jesus that we find anywhere in the scripture. 
And he says, in light of that, here's how I want you to live. I want you to stay low before the Lord and before one another. Walk in humility towards one another. Cling to Jesus above all things and let the light of Christ that's in you shine brightly in this ever-darkening world. And now we get to today's passage, which sort of makes this weird shift where he goes, hey, I'm going to send Tim to you, but not yet. I need him for a little while. And also Paphroditus is coming back and don't worry about it. It's, a cool, it's, it's all good. And you're like, this is sort of weird that in the middle of this letter, there's this like travel itinerary. And on the, on the surface level, you look, at, you look at this passage and you're like, I don't know really what's here. It almost feels like a transitional passage or a throwaway passage. And yet, the more time that I have spent in this text this week, the richer it has gotten. And whereas at the beginning of the week, I might have thought, I don't know what I'm going to talk about for 40 minutes. Uh, I've probably got an hour's worth. I, I won't do that. Don't worry. But uh, there's so much here that I think the Lord has for us. So um, before we get into the reading of the text, here's a question I want to pose to you. Who have you learned the most from about what it means to follow Jesus? I don't mean necessarily who did you learn theology or doctrine from. What I mean is, who, who has shown you what it looks like to have a relationship with the God of the Bible? Because my sense would be, if we did a poll in the room, uh, nearly all of us would say, would give names. This person, right? Uh, maybe it was, you know, a parent or a friend. Uh, uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, a, a student minister at some time when you were a teenager or, uh, you know, youth worker, whatever. Uh, and you saw them, or you had a relationship with them, and you watched how they walked with Jesus, and it impacted you. So there are examples. We need examples, right? We're going to see some of those in the text this morning, but uh, before we do that, let me read uh, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 19, and I'll read down to verse 30. You can follow along in your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen, but let's look at the Word of God here. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered of news, uh, by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow Upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful uh, to be your children, grateful to be gathered together as brothers and sisters in the room and um, under the authority of your word and in the presence of your Holy Spirit. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do in this time together what only you can do, uh, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would transform us from the inside out as we look at this passage of scripture. 
These are your words, and so I pray that you'd help me, Holy Spirit, to rightly divide them, uh, to teach them in such a way that is edifying, encouraging, um, and helps us to see the beauty of Jesus all the more clearly. Um, We pray for the people of Bent Creek this morning as they are deliberating uh, a difficult decision, one that um, I don't know that any of us can really understand the weight of, Um, and yet I pray that you would make it very clear to them that they would have a great sense of your presence with them and that as each member casts their ballot, that they would do so with confidence knowing that they have heard from the Lord and that whatever the outcome, we would rejoice in you because you are still sovereign and good. And so we love you and we thank you for this time together as a church and we pray that you would bless our study in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right, so as we look at this passage, um, I'm just going to call out a few things I see here. Clearly, the, the, the text sort of breaks down simply uh, into these two examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so let's look at the first one. If you're a note taker, uh, I would just want you to see here Timothy's humility. We'll see this in verses 19 to 24, Timothy's humility. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel, and so I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. So we, we ask the question, who's Timothy? And most of us may know the answer to that question, uh, but just in case you don't, and that's, it's okay if you don't, if you're new to the Bible or whatever, uh, Timothy is a disciple of Paul's. Timothy we meet in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, he's already, you know, on his first journey, he went through uh, all these cities proclaiming the gospel and planting churches. On his second missionary journey, he's going back through some of these same cities to check in on the churches, to care for them, to teach them, those kind of things. And so uh, Paul and Silas go to uh, Derby and Lystra, and uh, they, there they meet this young man, Timothy. Now, Timothy had a uh, Greek father and a Jewish mother. He was raised by his mother and his grandmother who were God-fearing Jews. And likely on the first missionary journey, Timothy heard the gospel and and surrendered his life to Jesus, and he became a Christian. So on the second missionary journey, they come back, they meet Timothy, and they see this young man who is young, he's mature, he's got a good reputation, he might even be an emerging leader within the church, and Paul invites him to join the mission team. There's just one hurdle, he's got to be circumcised. Right, so imagine you get invited to go on a mission trip. Great, how much money do I need to raise? Oh, don't worry about that, just a little minor surgery. That's all we need. What? Timothy, half Jew, half Greek, going into regions that are largely Jewish, and uh, it would be a stumbling block to the Jews if Timothy had not gone through this Jewish ritual. And so Timothy humbles himself, and he's willing to undergo this ritual of circumcision, and he accompanies Paul on this, on this second missionary journey. Paul kind of takes Timothy under his wing. They're together for at least 10 years, and Timothy eventually becomes the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Now, here in the passage I just read, we get some insight into Paul's relationship with Timothy and how much Timothy means to him. For example, he says in verse 20, I have no one like him. Everyone else is out for themselves, but not Timothy. There's no one like him. And you have to ask yourself, like, really? Does he literally mean there's no one like Timothy at all anywhere? You know? Like... Imagine this. Here's this guy, Epaphroditus. He's delivering the letter. Paul writes the letter. Epaphroditus has taken this letter 800 miles. He almost died. Now he's going to take the letter back to Philippi. 
they would read the letter out loud. So he's eager to hear what Paul has to say to the church of Philippi. And uh, they open the letter up and they start to read it. And Paul says, there's no one like Timothy. If you're Epaphroditus, you're like, are you kidding, bro? (laughs) So he can't mean that, right? He's not just going on and on about golden boy while Epaphroditus is over here like, I guess I'm nothing. That's not what he means. The the translation of no one like him uh, literally means no one of equal soul, of kindred spirit. Um, So I think what he's getting at here is Timothy shares the same burdens that Paul does. Timothy has the same pastoral shepherd's heart for the people of Philippi that Paul does. In verse 22, he says, you you know, you know him, his proven worth. So the Philippian church is familiar with Timothy because Timothy accompanied Paul on every visit to Philippi. They've seen him grow and develop. They've seen his character strengthen. He says, he's like my own son. He's worked alongside me. Uh, And so when he says there's no one like him and all the others are self-serving, what he's likely doing is referring back to chapter one. In chapter one, you might remember Paul says, look, there are some people who preach the gospel out of envy and rivalry, seeking to afflict me because of my imprisonment. Now others do it out of, out of good motives. And, and those who preach the gospel out of, out of selfish ambition uh, and, and their own motives, uh, they're still preaching the gospel. So I rejoice in that. In other words, Paul's saying, okay, there's some guys in Rome here who now that I'm in jail are like, in my time to shine, right? I get to be the one who proclaims the gospel. My Twitter account's going to blow up. My YouTube page is going to grow. And Paul's stuck in jail. And it'll be about me and my glory. And, and though they're preaching the right gospel, they're doing it with the wrong motive. He says, Timothy's not like that. Timothy will gladly serve me by going to serve you 800 miles away. These other knuckleheads, they won't. None of them will go and serve you, but Timothy will because he loves you. He cares about you. He's a pastor at heart. He is a shepherd. And so we see that Tim is a shining example of humility and faithfulness to the Lord. But I want you to hear this. Timothy does not stand alone. Timothy is a product of the influence of Paul in his life. This, this, uh, there's this old phrase, which I, I love. I I think it's very true. Um, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. In other words, all of us are shaped by the closest relationships that we have. You know, we be, we're, no, none of us develops our character in isolation, right? We, we are um, molded and shaped by those closest relationships that we have. And character is only formed and strengthened through relationship. So if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, you had better have Christ-like people in your life. And if you have benefited from Christ-like people in your life, it's your turn to pass it on. This is the beauty of this intergenerational family that we call the church. Mothers and daughters, spiritually speaking, fathers and sons, brothers and sisters, all of us, the family of God together. Now, this applies more to the nine than to the 11 because the nine has become our more seasoned Christian service, if you will. Um, (laughs) There are many of us in the room who are young or young in the faith. And we got a lot of questions. Like, um, does this following Jesus thing get easier? (laughs) Or how do you stay faithful to the Lord for the long haul? Or how do I know for sure that the Lord's going to stay faithful to me? 
Um, or how in the world do you raise children? <laughs> you know, to know and love the Lord. How, how do you stay married for Pete's sake, right? Like we have these questions and we wrestle. And if, if that's you, if you're a younger or younger in the faith and you're in this room and you're wrestling with those kinds of questions, I, I just want to implore you to find some folks who've got a little life on them and just ask them if you can buy them lunch, you know? Um, I think in the evangelical world, sometimes we, in the Christian church, we, we make discipleship um, this really formal, um, rigid process, right? And it's like, I need like a Yoda-type figure that I can just go to, and they just spout out all this wisdom to me, and I learn from that one person, right? They're my, and, and then that's how it works. And if you're the older person, that's a ton of pressure, right? It can be as simple as, hey, uh, we're a young married couple. You've been married 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, 40 years. Can we learn from you? Can we just go to a meal once in a while and ask you questions? Or um, I said this to the nine. If you're like, invite them to your house and serve them whatever poor food you got, like ramen noodles, and then they'll invite you to their house next time and you can eat better food. Um, <laughs> But you, you know, you just go, hey, I, I'm a new Christian and I don't know how to do this thing. Would, would you, could I just buy you breakfast once in a while or, or a cup of coffee or whatever and just learn from you? Can I ask you questions? Now, if you're an older person in the room, more seasoned in your walk with Jesus and or in life, um, do you have eyes for those folks in the congregation who uh, are young or young in the faith and who need someone like Paul to put their arm around a Timothy and say, hey, let me tell you about the, the Lord's faithfulness. I've been through it. We've been through all these seasons. We've, 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 we've raised our kids and we've seen uh, all these things happen and, and yet God's still been faithful to us. And this is what it looks like to walk with the Lord for a, a long time. If you're a more seasoned believer, here are two things that you believe that are not true. Number one, you tend to believe that younger people don't really want to know what you have to say. Young people, is that true? No. You, you might also think, well, I don't have much to offer, you know? Um, but let me, let me say something. Uh, if, you, if you have been mildly consistent in following Jesus, in uh, being faithful to your spouse and your children, being faithful in your vocation, even mildly for like the last 10 years, you are a spiritual giant in this current culture, okay? Like if we had time, I would say, hey, young folks, young in the faith, raise your hands and let me know how many of you came from absolute train wrecks of families and you don't have any examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus in your everyday life. I'm one, okay? Mom and dad are complete train wreck. You know, our family story should be like on Mari Povature, whatever, one of those stupid shows where you're just like, these people are crazy. Like a lot of us come from that background and we don't know what it looks like to follow Jesus. We don't know what it looks like to raise your kids to know the Lord. And if you have been at least mildly consistent in any of those practices for a few years, you are leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of the rest of us. And we need you. We need you. So get around some folks with some life on them. If you've got life on you, get around some folks. You could join a group, you know, where there's some intergenerational community happening. Um, some of you might go, well, look, I'm not that story of consistency. I have failed. You know, I did blow my marriage up. I did 
put work over my kids for a long season. And, you know, I don't know if I'm a good example to be able to share that with younger folks. And um, I hear you, and let me remind you of this. What was Paul doing before he became a Christian? Oh, right, murdering Christians, okay? Uh, I don't think that's as far as you've gone. And so there's redemption, there's healing, there's growth, there's repentance that happens, and you can share even your failures and the Lord's kindness to you and your failures with those who need help, okay? So uh, seek out the brothers and sisters that are around. And you know, it's going to become uh, even more important uh, if, this, if this partnership with Bank Creek happens, because we got folks there uh, that got a, they're very well seasoned, you know what I'm saying? Uh, to the glory of God. You know, I talked to a woman, uh, I didn't ask her age, she told me, uh, I think she said she was 84, and uh, she's been at the church, at that church, since she was three years old. You think she's got something to offer, even the more seasoned in this room, right? What does it look like to enter that winter season of your life and stay faithful to the Lord? Many of those uh, women have lost spouses, lost their husbands, you know, and they know, they know the faithfulness of God even through that. So we've all got people to learn from. Let's, let's pursue that. Okay, you guys with me so far? Two of you are. Great. Um, verse 25. Let's move on. I got to hit the gas here. Verse 25. Um, so that's Timothy. Then he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In other words, not that they had failed, the Philippian church, but that uh, Epaphroditus did for them what they couldn't do because of the distance, right? They, they raised the money, and he took it and delivered it. He completed what was lacking in their service to Paul. So next point here simply is Epaphroditus's integrity. Now, I am not going to say Epaphroditus for the rest of this sermon. So we got, we got choices. We got E or we got Diddy. Which one are we doing? Huh? Diddy. Okay, Diddy. I tried it in the nine. I couldn't do it, but we're going to give it another go. Um, it was Diddy who traveled from Philippi. See, I know it's weird. He traveled from Philippi to Rome in order to deliver this gift. Here's a beautiful thing about our, our boy Diddy. I, see, it doesn't work. We want it to. We so want it to, but it doesn't work. Um, he wasn't a pastor or an elder, as far as we can tell. He wasn't a deacon or even a leader in the church, as far as we can tell. He's just a normal dude. Just an everyday, ordinary Christian who is faithful to his church, and he's faithful to what the Lord has called him to do. Apparently, he had some time on his hands or took, took you know, some time off of work, and uh, they asked him if he would take this gift to Philippi, or from Philippi to Rome, and he does it. And uh, it seems like this was intended to be a long-term trip, like a, a long-term mission trip, because um, they were intending to send him the money and then for Epaphroditus to care for Paul with the money. If you're under house arrest and somebody gives you a check, it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good, right? You need clothing, you need food, you need papyrus, so you can write these letters to the churches. And so they figured that Epaphroditus would be the one who would care for him. Now, sometime along the way, Epaphroditus got sick. I guess I am going to say Epaphroditus for the rest of the sermon. 
He got sick, very sick. We don't know with what, but there were a lot of things floating around back then. Glad we've got that solved. And he almost died. And the church at Philippi had heard that he was sick, but not that he'd gotten better. And so they're wondering, what's, what's happened to our boy Diddy? And, and they don't know. And, um, and you couldn't FaceTime, of course, right? Can't send a text message or an email. And so Paul sends him back with this letter. The reason why I say it was probably intended to be a long-term trip is because Paul has to explain why he's sending him back. If they knew he's going to go drop off the money and come back, Paul wouldn't have had to explain why he's coming back. You follow me? But he's like, I hope to send Timothy. It was necessary to send Epaphroditus. He got sick. He got better. He was longing for you. Now, some people think he was homesick, and maybe he was. Um, but Paul uses that same language in chapter 1 where he says he's longing for the Philippians. There's a, there's a heartfelt care. He loves these people. He loves his church. And he wants to go back to them and see them. And so Paul sends him back, and he praises God for his friend. He says, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's, a, he's your messenger, the one you sent to me, and he's the minister to my needs. He did care for me. And then Paul says, I want you to honor such men. So here we have another shining example, right? The integrity. Uh, if I didn't give you that point, Epaphroditus. See, I can't say it. Diddy's integrity. That just doesn't sound right. Um, so another shining example, okay? But here's the reality. Just as Timothy did not stand alone as a shining example, Epaphroditus does not stand alone either. Whereas Timothy is the product of Paul's influence, Epaphroditus is the product of the Philippian church, of the culture and the environment of the Philippian church. This community had helped shape this man. And it had to be encouraging for Paul, right? The guy who planted this church, who has been away from it for 10 years, right? He's not, he's not been the pastor of that church for 10 years, but he's got this guy who he probably didn't know beforehand, who is a product of the culture of that church, who got saved in that church, discipled in that church, grew up in that church, now coming to serve him, coming all this way with all this money to, to care for him, to minister to him. And it had to be a huge encouragement to, to see the fruit of this church. And I want you to know this, this is our hope and aim, you know, for whatever, however long the Lord gives you to be part of this community, that, that you, that we would grow together as just an everyday people who are worshiping Jesus as a family on mission. That we'd be a people who put Jesus first, others second, and selves third. That's the key to a joy-filled life. Jesus first, others second, selves third that we would be a people who are just faithful in all the everyday ordinary things. Faithful to the Lord, faithful to one another in all that stuff. And, um, you know, last week, if you're with us, I mentioned just briefly that October is Pastor Appreciation Month, right? And I didn't say it in a self-serving way, I don't think. I was trying to highlight that our elders, uh, the, the, especially the volunteer elders, pastors that we have at this church, labor and run for your sake that you would hold fast to Jesus. And they are worthy of honor, and you should thank them, right, for all the labor they put in, because it's a lot of work and a lot of hours. But I want to step back for a second, and I just want to honor you all. I want to express my appreciation for you. To all of you who open your Bibles every morning or every evening, or 
most days, let's be honest, right? Who are seeking to hear from the Lord Jesus and to become like him. To all of you who pray regularly for the needs of this body, for one another, and for your friends and family who don't know the Lord. For all of you who give out of your finances regularly, faithfully, out of a modest income for the advancement of the kingdom of God through this congregation. For all of you who are just doing your level best to trust God's spirit and to love your wife or your husband well and to raise your kids to know a little something about the Lord Jesus. To all of you who open your homes, you know, weekly to allow community to happen and people to eat all your food and, and like, you know, destroy your bathroom. Like, for all of you who, who show up early on Sundays to put out signs and to make coffee and to run slides and sound and all that kind of stuff. To those of you who throw on a blue shirt and head up to our kids' wing and, and give your time to love on those babies and to teach those kids uh, who Jesus is and to teach them about the scriptures. To all of you who throw a lanyard on and a little earpiece and walk around to keep this place safe and secure or who greet people at the door and welcome strangers into this family. For all of you who juggle work and family and still pour your time into the scriptures so you have something to share with the men or the women or the students or the children who are part of this congregation. You may never get the recognition that you deserve, but Jesus sees you. He does. And, and we honor you. We thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord and to this community of faith. It's a joy to serve with you uh, and to shepherd you, to be your pastor. I'm grateful for each one of you. And I'm a crier, so it gets emotional from time to time. Ugh. All right, last thing. You got 10 minutes. You with me? All right. Skip ahead with me real quick to chapter 3, verse 17. I, want, I got one more little thing to show you that I think is really important, but I want to point it out to you. So Paul, as he can, and we'll, we'll cover this in the coming weeks, but I want to just skip ahead to this one verse. In verse 17, Paul says this, brothers and sisters, that's implied, join in imitating me. So he says, I'm an example. I want you to follow me. Follow my example. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Speaking of, of course, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who he's already mentioned. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on others who follow the example that, they ha- that you have in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, let me ask you something. As we've looked at Philippians 1 and 2 so far, how are we receiving Paul? How does he come across in the first two chapters of the book of Philippians? Um, I'll throw out some, some descriptors. Maybe we see Paul as strong, right? Courageous. Um, maybe we see Paul as faith-filled, and I think he is all those things in the text. But my last point here, what I want to point out to you is Paul's vulnerability Paul's vulnerability. Here's what I mean. 
So he says things like the strength, the courage, the faith filled. He says things like, whatever happens to me, I trust the Lord. He says things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? But, but then, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but in, in verses 19 to 30, he says things like this now. Um, I hope to send Timothy to you, but I need him right now. I need him. And when I send him and he comes back to me, I hope he brings me some news that's going to encourage me, to cheer me. I need encouragement. He says, God was merciful in sparing Epaphroditus' life, but he wasn't, just, he wasn't just merciful to Epaphroditus, he was merciful to me. Because if he had died, I would have had, he says, sorrow upon sorrow, meaning I already have sorrow, I'm sad. But that sadness would have multiplied if my friend had passed. He says, I'm eager to send him to you, Epaphroditus, I'm eager to send him to you, because when he gets to you, I will be less anxious. <laughs> now, this is the same guy who writes to us in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's almost like Paul's preaching to himself here, isn't it? The same guy who said, do not be anxious. I don't know how many of you have maybe read Philippians before, and when you, said, when you heard Paul say, don't be anxious, you think, man, that dude, he must have not ever worried about anything. And here he says, I'm sending Epaphroditus, and when he gets to you, I will be less anxious. <laughs> huh. Here's my point in all this. These men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, all lived this joy-filled life. Jesus first, others second, selves third. They lived it. We see this with Paul. I'll just give you quickly. Uh, Paul in, in chapter 1, uh, he says this in verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. Jesus first. But to remain here in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You second. Jesus first, you second, me third. Okay, Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as some of the Father, he has served me in the gospel. Jesus first, others second, Timothy third. Epaphroditus himself, verse 30. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He put Jesus first, others second, self third. And yet, we also see from Paul here, there's no pretense. There's no, there's no machismo. He has no need to guard or conceal how he's really doing, how he's really feeling. He says, I'm weak. I'm vulnerable. I'm sad. I need encouragement. He, he's writing this letter. He, he could skip through that. He could be like... <laughs> I'm strong in the Lord, you know, like he could do that and no one would ever know the difference. But he goes, no, 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 I'm, I need encouragement. I, I got sorrow. These men lived lives of humility. They lived lives of integrity. And they also lived lives of vulnerability, just like Jesus did. Jesus is God in the flesh. And one way to think about the flesh in biblical language is, um, 
humanity in all of its weakness and frailty. And when we read the Gospels and we see the life of Jesus, we see the frailty and the vulnerability of his humanity, don't we? We see Jesus get tired and hungry and thirsty. We see Jesus have compassion on individuals and on crowds. He saw them, he felt something for them, and he did something about it. We see him angry at sin and corruption and death and disease in this world. We, we see him weep over his friend Lazarus. And when we get to the Garden of the Gethsemane, we see Jesus, I think this is Matthew 26, say to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Will you pray for me? And yet for Jesus, it, it was a sorrow that was strangely mixed with joy because Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And it occurred to me as I was studying this week that Paul mentions, you know, God had mercy on Epaphroditus. He had, a, he had mercy on me. And, and he has had mercy on us precisely because he did not have mercy on his own son. That Romans 8 tells us he did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, right? And, and Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus' lives were completely rearranged by Jesus. When they saw him for who he was, when they saw the, the perfect, sinless life of Jesus lived in place of us because we cannot live a perfect, sinless life. When they saw the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf, taking the justice of God so that we could receive mercy. Dying in our place as our substitute for our sin, taking the wrath and the justice of God for us. When they saw the glorious and beautiful resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, confirming that his payment for sin was paid in full and giving us the right as we receive this finished work of Jesus with empty hands of faith, we have the right to be called the children of God with all the rights and privileges that Christ himself enjoys. They are ours in Christ by faith. And that rearranged the lives of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and it's rearranged a whole bunch of our lives too, hadn't it? And then the Holy Spirit of God, the endless power of the Holy Spirit of God is given to us to empower us to follow in these examples. So if you hear nothing else that I said this morning, hear this. You are not given these examples just to say, all right, try harder, do better, be humble, have integrity, right? That's crushing. Why? Because we know we're weak. We know we can't in our own strength. And these men were weak also. And, and Paul, once again, he, he reminds us, I just, this won't be on the screen, but I just want to read for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 really quickly. Paul says this, um, in my weakness, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
So Paul is not a perfect example. Timothy is not a perfect example. Epaphroditus is not a perfect example. Jesus is a perfect example, but he's more than an example. He's our savior. And when we trust in the finished work of Jesus, the endless power of the Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us the ability to start following after these examples. Not in our strength, but in his. And when we're weak and when we fail and, and, and when we, we trip up, it's his power that is made perfect in our weakness. So as we wrap up, I, I just would implore you to rest in the finished work of Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to move in you to such a degree that you grow as a humble person of integrity and vulnerability. That around here, we don't use the Christian F word, F-I-N-E. No, we don't... We don't stay guarded, but you know, when we're asked how we are and we're not doing great, we go, I'm not doing great. Would you pray for me? There's no pretense here. It's a culture of vulnerability. It's a culture of integrity. It's a culture of humility that will change the world for the glory of God. Amen? Mumble, mumble. Okay. Um, Got some questions for you. We'll put on the screen and then we'll move into our time of response. First one is this. As they come, you can write them down or you can take a picture of the screen when they're all up if that's more helpful for you. But um, I want you to think about who has currently or who had the greatest impact on my walk with Jesus. We talked earlier in the sermon about uh, people who have been an influence in your life for the sake of Christ, that you watched how they walked with Jesus. And, and like Paul says, imitate me, you imitated them who just showed you what it means to, to walk with the Lord. And maybe you're young or young in the faith and you haven't had that example. And so the question is, are you going to pursue that example here? But think back, what, who's had that impact on you and, um, and how did they impact you? What did you learn from them about what it means to follow Jesus? I think that something you can give thanks to God for and be grateful for is the impact uh, of others in your lives. And, and um, you know, if you don't have that, talk to me. We'll, we'll find somebody to pair you up with. Second question, What keeps me from pursuing the spiritual family, as I mentioned, mothers, daughters, sons, fathers, brothers, sisters? What keeps me from pursuing spiritual family for our mutual encouragement? We need one another. God has seen fit to gift us as an intergenerational community for his glory and for our good. And so um, for some of us, again, there's those lies that we believe, like no one wants to hear what I have to say or I don't have anything to offer. For some of us, we think, well, those, those people are too busy, you know, to spend time with me. Um, or I'm an introvert. I don't know how to go up to someone and ask them if I can take them to lunch. You know, um, maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's the shame we feel that keeps us from pursuing family. And, and I would just implore you to bring that before the Lord and say, hey, I, I know I need someone in my life to help to be a Paul to me, you know, or I, I know I need to put my arm around someone like a Timothy. And so help me to get past those barriers in order to pursue those relationships. Third, Where might the Lord be calling me to greater faithfulness? We see the integrity of Epaphroditus, his faithfulness to his local church community and to the Lord Jesus. Maybe the Lord's calling you to greater faithfulness here or to greater faithfulness at home, you know, uh, to be more present with your family, your children. Maybe to be um, more faithful in in sharing the hope of Christ with those who are lost. I I don't know 
what it is for you, but many of us might, might have a, a conviction or a sense that there's something or some things in us that the Lord's calling us to be just a little bit more faithful than we have been in this area of our lives, and he'll give you the power by his spirit to do that. But are we going to choose to walk in obedience to what we're convicted of, you know? So where's the Lord calling me to greater faithfulness? And then finally, how does the message of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection free me and empower me to walk in humility, in integrity, and in vulnerability? You know, if I know that in my pride, Christ still died for me and humbles me, you know? If I know that I'm accepted by Jesus, then I can be honest and forthright and not have to self-protect. If I, if I see Jesus asking his friends to pray for him, man, why can't I ask my friends to pray for me, right? Can I be vulnerable because Jesus was as well? And so uh, leave these questions up on the screen for you just to contemplate. You can um, take them to group, take them to uh, lunch this afternoon, whatever you're going to be doing. Uh, but uh, if nothing else, just consider them. Um, maybe the Lord wants to say something to you in that. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will open up the communion tables um, in just a moment. We're going to have a, just a minute of, of silent reflection. But um, when we take communion, uh, this is not just a thing we do in our service, right? This is a, a moment of clarity and reflection for us to consider um, that in the body being broken of Christ, we find healing and restoration. In the blood of Christ being spilled, we find uh, cleansing for our sins. Uh, and so we come to these tables as followers of Jesus, as those who surrender to the Lord. We come in thanksgiving. We come in gratitude. We come in faith. We come in repentance. And we come holding on to the promise, right? This is for us. This is what he did for us, but also it's a foretaste uh, of a future with him that we're going to feast. We're going to feast in the house of Zion with our Lord. And, uh, and this is a foretaste of that. And so we come uh, after reflection and, and, and prayer and, and we partake of this meal, dipping the bread into the juice or the wine, whatever our conscience allows. So if you're not a Christian, you can stay seated during this time. Uh, as you make your way back to your seats, there's black boxes in the back. So if you're new around here and want to be known, there's connect cards in the seat. Uh, the back of that can be used for prayer requests. And we love to pray for uh, our members. And so if there's anything we can pray for you about, put it on a card uh, in the back there. And then, of course, if you're a, a regular, a member, and you want to give financially, that's what those boxes are for if you don't already give uh, online, which most of our folks do. But I'm going to pray for you, and then uh, we'll have a moment of silence. When I get up to go to the table, they'll be open. You're welcome to those tables, and then the band's going to return and lead us in a few songs as we make our way out of here. Father in heaven, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for our time of study, and thank you for uh, just the richness of the Scripture. Um, and now, even in seemingly transitional passages, there is a wealth uh, of good for us in the text. And so um, I pray that something that has been said today would stick, um, and that you have ministered to us and helped us to see more clearly the beauty of Christ, uh, and that as we trust in your spirit, you would make us a people who are humble and full of integrity and vulnerable and honest uh, with our community. And so, um, Lord, we, we desire that. We want to honor you. And so as we respond now in repentance and faith, as we respond by taking communion, by giving, and in our singing, would you be honored and glorified? And would you minister to us as we worship you and, and exalt you? Would that be a fragrant aroma to you? And as you uh, minister to us, may we be filled with joy in your presence uh, as we worship. We ask this in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen.